The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Yo, what's going on, Busted Open Nation? And thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Busted Open Podcast. Today, the Hall of Fame and Pain welcomes a very special guest, somebody that I've been really looking forward to talking to for a long time, the total package Lex Luger talking about his A&E documentary special, talking about his professional career, what it was like to be in the NWA, to be in the WWE, the Lex Express, the trials and tribulations of being Lex Luger and what his life is like today. Me and Mark Henry join Lex Luger for one of the best interviews I can remember on this show and on this podcast. We are busted open, turn it up. I would like to welcome um, a guy that I'm very happy that I have become friendly with over the past year or so, a guy that we've been speaking very highly of the uh, all morning. And speaking of Hall of Fame, um, a gentleman that I believe is ultra Hall of Fame worthy. And I hope very soon, if not this coming year, uh, he gets inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame because I think his body of work um, definitely deserves it. I'd like to welcome to the show this morning the total package, Lex Luger. Lex, good morning. How are you, brother? Good morning, guys. I'm doing great. I'm excited to be on. I love, I've told you this, but I love your show. I run my errands in the morning. I got you guys on all the time, man. I just love what you guys do. You guys are just I love it, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, our pleasure, Lex. Thank you for coming on this morning with uh, with myself and and Mark Henry. Um, I I just I just want to start off and ask you: Did you see the final cut of the documentary last night? Did you get a chance to watch it? And what was your overall feelings on how it came out? I did. They sent me a unedited, a non commercial cut a couple days beforehand because my my nephew called me and goes, hey, can my kids watch this thing? So I go, well, I'll, go, I'll have them send me something, and I'll, I'll preview it for you. So I saw it uh, commercial-free on Friday night for the first time, and then I saw it with some friends uh, last night, and I watched it. So, I, man, they, they do such a good job on those. And I, I was honored and thrilled, and the feedback uh, that I've had has just been just 
I was kind of, you know, concerned because obviously a lot of controversial stuff with Rare Roller Coaster Ride, but the uh, the response has been uh, just uh, compassion and love. It's been tremendous. So obviously a lot of people enjoyed it. Quite the road, quite the ride. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I don't cry often because, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, hey, I, don't I don't look at it as being a weakness to cry. I just look at it as I don't cry when I'm upset. I don't cry when I'm hurt now. Mm. I cry because I'm happy. And mm. like that last night, um, like it just, you know, tears just started falling because uh, when you said that you were on your knees for the first time and that you got mm-hmm. – you got saved and and you felt like it was hurting you the i i I know what that felt like and i think Mm -hmm. a lot of people uh around the world because the world watched that um Mm -hmm. a lot of people saw that and it's it's a it's a testimony i i think that that's gonna um i think that you may be a catalyst for some hardened hearts to acknowledge uh, our, our Lord and Savior, and it's just gonna—it was—it was very warming to me, and I'm—I'm I'm happy that you have found that peace. Uh, did was there ever a point where you felt like um, that would be? Um, that would be you one day. Did you ever think it in a million years? Hey, Mark, thanks uh, for saying all that. Never. I was, um, I guess you call me a atheist, agnostic, um, self-worshipper, materialist, um, closest ever got to anything faith-based. I guess they call it a deist. Well, I thought maybe because I can't explain everything because I was so arrogant. I can't explain how everything was formed and came together with this. And maybe there's some higher power that made Earth and put us on it. And then he went on doing something else, and it was survival of the fittest, and that kind of fit my mentality back then. So, no, I never imagined. I, I meant last night when I got down on my knees, first time ever to pray in my life, and asked Jesus to come in my heart. I wept uncontrollably for the first time in my life because I'm like you, Mark. I actually, my dad, he I, he used to use the belt on us when we misbehaved as kids. When he hits the belt, we started crying. My brother and I, he, he hit us more. He said, stop crying. I'm going to keep on hitting you. He, my dad kind of raised me old school back then that, you know, boys growing into men don't cry. We don't whimper. We don't cry. So if I was, I was like a duck real smooth on top of the water, but if I was really hurting or really upset, my legs were getting neat, but I, I, if a tear trickled down the corner of my eye back in the old days, I, I was weeping inside. So that was the first time I got down my knees in that hotel room. I couldn't help it. I just, the Holy Spirit came in me and Jesus came in me. And man, I, I just literally wept uncontrollably. It was embarrassing. Pastor Steve was in there. I was like, I was still kind of prideful because I, I, I was just like, man, he, I don't want to, I was trying to hide it from the pastor, Steve, with me. he's become one of my best friends in the world. 
because I was embarrassed. I was crying so much. So yeah, I mean, it was it was an just an incredible moment for wow. sure. The biggest moment, obviously, in my life, not only now but for eternity. So very thankful. Lex, you were talking about some of the controversial stuff, quote unquote, controversial stuff that they covered in the documentary. Do you think that they covered it in a fair way? Oh, definitely. I mean, some of the things were a little, little different than maybe I would recall it, but I thought it was overall, it was uh, very well, uh, well done. They, um, Hey, there's a, a lot of stuff in there and it was, I'm very transparent about my life. I, I speak to young people now, and um, I, I can definitely tell them what not to do. <laughs> when it when it when it comes to when it a lot you know a lot of people talk about your your I guess the arrogance or the arrogant way you may have carried mm. yourself back in the day, and in wrestling we have this thing called perception versus reality. Mm. Was this a perception about you, or was it definitely a reality? You know, really, kind of both. <laughs> When I was watching, I go, man, they should just they should have just left me a heel back then. My whole career, because basically, you know, some of the guys, like, really, when you think about it, uh, my my natural personality back then was I was very confident, and it came across. A lot of people said arrogant, and I get it. And I always believed in myself, and that, I think that definitely air came out. And... Uh, I, I never really doubted myself other than maybe the period after the Lexus Express, the first time in my life I experienced like self doubt um, for a while there. But yeah, I mean, um, I, I was laughing. I was, my friends were watching me. I was like, man, this shit just left me here. I was a natural heel. <laughs> right. You know what, Lex? For sure. you, 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 you said that you were um, arrogant. But were you mean too? Like, I mean, you 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 know the difference um, when you see somebody that's mean to people, and I, I've seen right. like uh, my I watched I I watched this show a, a couple of years ago called the uh, um, the Devil Wears Prada, and this mm. character she browbeat the people that work for her, she oh, wow. she bullied anybody and everybody that came into her world mm. did did you ever get to the point to where you you were you were uh not nice to people um overall i generally was pretty decent with the fans would sign autographs and i had my moments i know you guys have been on the road like i have and you've been wore down in an airport and you're off in a corner somewhere and you kind of just yeah. you're exhausted you're tired at six in the morning someone comes up and sticks a piece of paper and a pen in your face i've had i had people walk up when i was in the bathroom going to the bathroom stick a pen and paper in your face so i tried knowing that i always had the attitude hey uh i make a lot of money doing this um and because these people watch me so i always tried to maintain with the fans and and most of the most of the boys if they gave me a chance because i a lot of the boys really didn't give me a chance and they you talk about perception reality. The perception was arrogance because, man, when I came in and got that that big contract, like like six less than six months in my career in Charlotte with WCW, man, did I have eat. Woo, man! So <laughs> I was kind of always had to battle that a little bit too. I was kind of like, man, would you guys have turned down a 
million plus dollar guarantee contract. They offer it to you. And really, the whole thing happened by chance. A lot of people know I bumped, funny, a real short story. I bumped into Vince McMahon with all the boys when we were in Las Vegas at a gym. And Vince, I'd never met him before. We must have talked for like 10 minutes off to the side in the gym. I'd never met him before. He'd never met me. It's maybe five months into my WCW career. Well, it wasn't W, Crockett career. And man, you guys know the boys. They all ran back and told Dusty and Crockett, everybody, actually was talking to Vince McMahon at the gym, this and that. And they did not have me under contract yet at Crockett. So they all, Crockett kind of, he said a little bit last night, but he almost like kind of panicked and that worked to my advantage of leveraged a guaranteed contract. I'm sure he had no intention of giving me originally for really good money. And man, he threw in first class airfare and everything. So I, man, did I have heat though. Wow. But that was all up. And Vince and I, at first time meeting there, didn't really talk about anything like, oh, I want to bring you in or nothing. We just kind of chatted about working out and, and uh, the gym and, we just had a nice little chat, and Vince went, well, maybe I'll see you down the road, but that was it. But that ended up that just by that meeting with him in the gym leveraged me getting one of the first real, I maybe the guaranteed contracts for a large amount ever in wrestling, which really, uh, I'm not taking credit for it at all, but paved the way for a lot of the guys down the road, the World Warriors and Sting and a lot of the other guys after I got that, they were able to get guaranteed contracts as well because Wolf Lex says, well, why can't we have one? So it worked out kind and, of good and, for everybody in the long run. But, man, I had heat. You, you did. You did pave the way oh, yeah. because oh, uh, yeah. I was the recipient of the first guaranteed contract that Vince did. Oh, wow. And it was And it was a multi-million dollar contract, and people hated my effing guts. Oh, bad! I, I can feel you me. on that one, Mark. They they hazed me. They mm. intentionally told me the wrong things to say, the wrong things to do, and I just did what I was told. And then the uh, I'm I'm sensitive, and mm. I, I always see you sitting next to Ron Simmons at the appearances. And I come up and I shake your hand and I hug Ron and and um, you've always been very pleasant to me. And when I heard when I first heard that this documentary was coming out, um, I didn't know about the the arrogance or ego. That was something that I, I learned just in the last year. Be- I, mm-hmm. I just could not believe it because I know you now. I don't. I don't. Right. I don't remember. The, the new lack. <laughs> right. So, like, um, uh, the, there's not a good context for me, but like right. after watching the documentary, that's why I asked you where you mean because um, I saw somebody and I explained early in the show that this guy that you know worked at WWF at the time, he was just mean. And I was just like, damn, like it hurt my soul to hear the way he used to talk to people. And I didn't want to be around him because I, I, I felt like I would be guilty by association. And, right. um, and that was, that's, that's what Eric was saying. He was like, wow, man, this dude is brutal. Like I, I mm. can't, I can't be around that. 
Mm-hmm. Eric know, and I have read. We, we, Eric and I like put up about God transforming people. Eric and I, I didn't realize Eric like hated my guts for many years, and we, I was on a podcast a couple of years back with him, and we had like the most incredible moment on that podcast. He's supposed to have me on for one, hit me back for another one, and that towards the end we talked about. He admitted that he hated my guts and been holding on to that, and we had a really emotional like reunion put that aside, let go of it moment. Eric and I, ever since then, man, we hug and love on each other and we'll call each other on the phone just out of the blue to, to chat. And I mean, Eric, you know, it's like when you, you know, when we hang on to hatred and unforgiveness, you know, it really eats us up. You know, we were mad at the other person, but it's, it's I find for me, it was, and if other people use it, it hurts us more than them. They go on with their life, but we hang on to it and it makes us kind of bitter and 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 stuff like that. So Eric and I had an incredible moment. Uh, we have a great friendship now. It's it's great to see the when God gets in the midst of things, man. What He can do, I'm telling you. You know, uh, um, Lex, we did have Eric on earlier this morning, and mm-hmm. he was mentioning, you know, basically what you're saying about how your relationship was not that great. Um, he admitted to be intimate, being intimidated by you at first when he got the gig at WCW, but he's also very proud to call you a friend now. And, you know, he's very mm-hmm. happy about the relationship that you both have. He's, and the way he was speaking about it, he's like, he, he almost couldn't believe how glowingly he speaks about your relationship with each other because <laughs> things were, you know, bad from the beginning. So, uh, you know, Eric did have right. the nicest of things to say about you. I want to get back to this thing that you guys were talking about because you, you have something in common, Lex and Mark. It's that those big contracts that you first signed and mm-hmm. how, listen, this business is can be very dirty and jealousy is a big part of wrestling jealousy for reasons that, you know, most people w- would never believe, but in your guys' cases, it was big money contracts. So you did Lex, you dealt with some of that jealousy in, in the, you know, in, in the Crockett territories, in, you know, in the NWA, WCW, what was it like when you came to the WWE? How did the boys in the locker room treat you when you first got to the WWE and you were getting the big push up there? Well, a little bit of the same, I sensed. Because um, I first did the bodybuilding gig, and I did get paid well for that, by the way. Um, then I came in for the wrestling after my motorcycle wreck, debuted with Bobby Heenan debuting me and and you know I love Nate Nate I remember the first show I was at was that one where I was actually around all the other wrestlers I'm in the locker room with all the guys and Kurt Henning and the guys were all there in the locker room and Nate and Nate brought up uh airplanes and Nate looked at Kurt and some of the other boys goes well I guarantee you one thing Luke, Luke, I guarantee you Lex Luger over there, he, he ain't flying in coach. Oh, my gosh. Every eye in the room went to me. And because most of the guys, you go, big guys back then, we all, everybody got smashed in the coach. Other than a couple guys like Yoko because of his size or Andre the Giant or Ric Flair, everybody flew coach. That's just the way it was, man. Right. You, you carried your bags around and you 
you're, you know, you, you, you flew back and you squeezed back and coach. And when I came from WCW, I, I flew first class for my horseman thing and my contract from there. And I just assumed that I still be flying first class and have a ticket I could change when I wanted. And so I, I ended up getting a first class airfare and man, you talk about that one <laughs> triggered big heat. so much big heat. heat with the, but even, I don't even think taken was flying in first yet. So wow. in the locker room Flair Flair picked the perfect moment to throw that out there. And he was correct. I was flying first class and Oh my gosh, you talk about heat. Well, that'll put it in perspective. If Undertaker wasn't even flying first class at the time, and you were, now I kind of get where the guys were, well, were, were, were coming from. Shortly thereafter, though, Taker moved up to first, and good for him. Okay. Yeah. You know what, Lex? I, I, I'm, I know that uh, Bully's got an, a, another question to ask you, but uh, I got ribbed, and I didn't know I was being ribbed. I had a guy mm. tell me that was sitting in first, he said, hey, Henry, Go 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 back there and and, and slam the the curtain shut. And I got up <laughs> oh out my of my God. first class oh seat. Oh my God! And I went and slammed the curtain shut, bro. Oh. It was like the it was like fire. I threw a grenade. <laughs> it was like I threw a grenade. They was oh so God. angry. You didn't. And, and, yeah, I did, man. I did, and oh. I told you, like my 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 beginning was was horrible. Mm. It was horrible. Like there were yeah, times I came where from I was football, like, but I I never was around the locker room atmosphere of the boys back then. Man, it was it it could be intense for sure, huh? Wow. And Kurt Henning, God rest his soul, he was a shit disturber with me too. Oh, he could stir it up. One of the best ever. Man, I loved him. Oh yeah. Lex, um, talking about the contracts again, the the mm. night you show up on Nitro at the Mall of the Americas, Flair versus Sting, middle of the ring. How did that night come about? Who got in touch with who? How, who knew about it other than you and Vince? How did you show up on Nitro without anybody in the world knowing? Now, Bruce, last night, I wa- when I watched it, he, I love Bruce. We get along great now. But Bruce had it all wrong in last night's documentary. Uh, Set that the I record knew straight, I was brother. Leaving. I, I was leaving the whole time. I knew I was leaving. And it was a little skewed. Bruce, Bruce had that sarcasm about him, which he's great at, but about the Lex Express. Everything. But I actually did. I was looking to uh, me being the confident guy I always was, fellas. I wanted the, – the pay was down everywhere, WCW and WWE, WF at the time. And I went to Vince and said, look, my contract's up. I've given my 90-day notice, which we all know we had back then. I go, I want to stay. I want to make it here. I want to – you know, I, and I go – and Vince wanted me to as well. I always had a great relationship with Vince. And I said, um, but I want to do outside stuff. And Vince was like, whoa, what do you mean by that? I go, well, I, I want to get into, after my wrestling career, the fitness and nutrition field. Let me do that kind of stuff outside of wrestling. I'll earn my own extra money if it's out there for me. But let me do that, and we'll keep my wrestling contract for wrestling. 
and I'll, you own my wrestling rights, but let me do outside stuff. Well, Vince wanted to do that, but it, it went on and on with lawyers over months and months and months. I kept on working without a contract, just on a handshake with Vince because we got along so well. And I wanted to stay there, but it got to the point where I don't know if he's going to let me do that and stay there. And we finally had a conversation. I was up in Canada, and on the phone, Vince said, well, the lawyers, if I let you do this, I'll have to let Shawn Michaels do outside stuff. And Vince goes, I don't know how to word that in a contract. And I go, and it's just kind of a, a I had a flicker and a light switch that was like, he's not going to do it. I don't think he's going to let me do anything outside. And I had had a happen chance because of our conversation with Sting to, to go backwards just a hair before that conversation in Canada, right before I went to show up on Nitro, Monday Nitro, the first one in Minneapolis. I had a conversation with Sting that I wasn't under contract. And he goes, you're under contract? I go, no, I'm working on a handshake. Sting was like, are you kidding me? I go, no. He goes, so Sting went to Eric, goes, you know, Lex is like a free agent right now. And Eric was like, like Eric said last night was true. Ah, I'm not a big fan. But Sting, uh, when I realized Vince and Eric kind of made that low, really super, at the time, low ball offer. That if he wants to come in, tell him I'll pay him this, like, ha-ha. But when Vince told me on the phone, maybe days before the first Nitro, and I realized I might not be able to work this thing out contractually to do outside stuff on my own to earn extra money, I go, well, maybe I should take Eric up on his offer and that new show and maybe, uh, you know, go back to WCW and climb my way, try to earn my way back to the top there. I'll start out low and try to, try to earn it, earn a new contract. So um, I called Sting up and Eric says, well, if he wants to come in, but he's got the next caveat, of course, was, hey, but you can't tell anybody. I was like, ooh, man, I'm Vince and I are close. That, ooh, not give any notice. And that's why I told, explained the show that I thought about it. I go, well, I'm going to have to do what's best for my family. So I came in. It was all a surprise, uh, all clandestine. And But really up until the very end, I was planning on, Signing, re-signing with WWE because I, I wanted to prove it and make it that I can make it there and be a big star there. And so did Vince. And uh, just that that one conversation days before Nitro, I ended up calling this thing back and Eric flew me in. The rest is history. Did it ever sink into your mind, creep in, whatever you want to call it, that, wow, I did all of that travel and stuff and build up with Yoko, and then when I should have won, I didn't. Did that ever creep into your mindset? That's a great question, Mark. I'm thinking back to the time. Vince never promised me a win SummerSlam. We talked about the whole angle. I, I guess maybe a lot of people assumed the buildup was so big that I definitely was going to win. And this is a big part is because Vince is – Love of the garden. Vince always stood at the curtain, you guys know, in the garden, watched that curtain where he looked through and watched all the matches at the garden. And that's always a special place for him and for his dad and, and WWF and become the WWE global entertainment machine. But the garden was always a special spot for Vince and a lot of the boys, uh, the Mecca. And Vince told me, you know what, Lex? 
um, if I do this with you, I want to be at WrestleMania 10 at the Garden. If he never said he would, and just the way things came down, Taker ended up working angle with Yoko after SummerSlam. Yoko was a great champion, but I think Vince wanted to build it up and heat me back up for WrestleMania 10 if he's going to go with me on the belt. He decided to go with Brett. He was a great champion. So I, I didn't feel slighted. I didn't really – I thought a lot of guys, oh, man, if you don't win at SummerSlam, the, the errors are going to be out of the tire on the bus. You are – your career is dead. I had a lot of people tell me after that, that a lot of the boys and people in the rest – the new wrestling, man, your career is over. You're done. You get that kind of hype and you don't you don't win, you're you're over. At least as a baby face, your career's done. But I never I didn't have that mentality. I once again was always very confident in myself. Maybe misplaced at times, but uh, but that really and that was the only time in my career I kinda of floundered a little bit. Uh, where not not believing myself, I go, Well, where do I go from here? Kinda. So that was there a little bit, but not over the finish and not winning at SummerSlam. But it was pretty cool that I did win it back. My a title with Hogan Live four years later at the same building. I, I didn't realize at the time, but that, that was pretty cool. And, and that's what I was going to ask you next, Lex, about a, a finish and winning. What was it like for you to defeat Hulk Hogan uh, in a way that, not many people get a victory over Hulk. You put him in the torture rack. You made him submit. What did that mean to you? What did that tell you about? Uh, was that a bit of a redemption for you? You know, you accepted the low end money and now you, you, you're, you're defeating Hulk for the world heavyweight championship. Describe that moment and that feeling for you. Well, it definitely felt pretty darn good. I, uh, <laughs> that, that was, I mean, kind of like they said in the documentary, kind of climb the mountaintop one more. That roller coaster ride of my in-ring career, out of the ring career, that that was definitely a a high, a huge high point. Um, they really that was a surprise. I didn't know that was going to happen until I was at the building, and they had left us laying, and I had I used to have nachos and tobacco juice and things thrown at me in the ring as a as a good guy. Because they left us laying every night, NWO in the ring, for almost two years, like almost like a year and a half or whatever it was, and I'm off the air with us laying in the ring, and I almost started getting like a lot of sympathy. Part of my run up the ladder of popularity then as a baby was, just, man, I wish Lex would get a licking on one of them here. Man, he, they leave him laying every week, and he, but he keeps on coming back. And Sting was coming out of the ceiling. We all knew that was the big buildup, but he wasn't there every week, and I was, I was just getting confronted and confronting them. And I was in the mix every week. I used to have to go back at the at the shows at the building sold out. And I was so covered in, in nachos and food and you name it, that throwing it them, I had to, I used to just jump in the shower with my wrestling gear and boots on and go back out and wrestle the dark match. So oh, wow. Get, wow. Send them home on a so-called happy note. I, I just jumped in. A, I tried to change and it took too long. So I just started, going back and showering off in my gear and walking back out to the ring for the dark match. It was crazy times. But um, they, Eric and Hogan didn't even tell the rest of the boys, really. They they took me aside close to the match time, told me, we're going to put tight on you. And I go, what? Like I knew we were building up for the sting. No, nope. we, we took the temperature of the fans, and we need to give them a little crumb. We need to give them a nugget. Uh, we've left you guys laying for so long. 
we should give them just a little hope here. It's like a little hope spot. Like you have in a match, wow. they're going to give a little hope show. So live, free show, basically, not a pay-per-view. Nobody expected. I didn't expect them. I went to the building that night, and and Hogan was what an honor. I mean, I was going along pretty good with them, but he picked me. You know that what an honor there. They put me over in my finish, had me kick out of his finish, had me put him in the rack. I mean, had me knock all of his cords and then go out, outside the ring and rack him for a win. The crowd was delayed. The pop was delayed. The, even the crowd was, well, this is a nitro, nothing's going to happen here, and they're going to DQ it. Or, when they realized that we did a title switch, the crowd went nuts. Even the boys at Lock and Lock didn't know. They went nuts. It, it, was a, it really was an, an <clears throat> incredible moment there in Detroit that night. It really was. One Lex of the fans is, is always, knocked that building down recently brought me a brick from the building with my, a, a, a thingy painted on it with me in front of the Lex Express. From uh, He was there that night. He brought a, They knocked the building down, like a lot of buildings I used to wrestle in are knocked down now. And they, uh, he brought me a brick from the building as a memento. Man, that is that. awesome. <laughs> Lex, you, we, we see you now, and we saw you in the, in the documentary. You're in a... You're in a chair. Um, how, how are you feeling? And um, do you think that now with all of this notoriety again with the documentary that this is the time that, you know, uh, a Hall of Fame call might happen? Ooh. You know that? that <laughs> Ooh. That has crossed my mind a few times. I – um. My first of all, thanks for asking. My my health is phenomenal. My doctor gives me my annual checkups and blood work. Says, man, for all you've been through, you have mobility issues from your spinal cord injury. That'll always be there. But he goes, man, you stay trim. And he goes, you you are like the healthiest sixty four year old I've ever had in this office. No medications. You're not on anything. He goes, you are extremely healthy. So my I always will have probably obviously mobility issues. My main thing, I can't walk and stand a little bit, which is like a less than 1% miracle of God for my type of spinal cord injury, cervical, C5, C6. At Shepherd Center, I'm like one of their miracles. And um, I can drive and walk a little bit and get in, dress myself and feed myself. All that stuff is stuff I was never supposed to be able to do. And um, I'm very thankful for that. Um, I can walk a little bit, but what happens is, um, from my injury the type I had, I don't know if you guys, like if you have a power surge or uh, during an electrical storm, the power can go out just for a second and come right back on. Yep, That's yeah. what can happen if I'm walking. If I'm not holding on to something like a, a, either a walker or in a wheelchair, I will go down. And I found out the hard way. I, number one, I can get hurt. I did a few times when that happened mm. because I never have a warning of when it's going to come. And I always pick the worst places, like a crowded movie theater on a Friday night or church on a Sunday morning with everybody. I always fell at the worst place, the most embarrassing, worst place. So for my safety, my, my neurologist told me, you should really, you know, it goes, if you're going to try walking around, you better wear like a, a bicycle helmet, elbow knee pads all the time. I go, well, that would look kind of goofy. So um, I, uh, I've learned chair. to, 
Yeah, stay in the chair and use the uh, most of the time. I'm especially when I'm doing appearances. I, you know, not try to walk and have have a power shut down or f- from either fatigue or not knowing when it comes. So it's really more of a safety thing. And um, but I can walk a little bit. So my, my health's really good. I'm very thankful thankful for that. Um, the um, Hall of Fame. Um, I've heard a lot of rumors um, about that. I, uh, the, the sports illustrator guy, Justin Brass, was a great guy. Interviewed me right before the documentary and said, "Well, what about the Hall of Fame next year? You think maybe I?" He goes, "You might uh, try to walk across the stage for that." And I go, "Well, Justin, I go, I might pop out of my chair for that. I might take the chance. I go, if I if I get the Hall of Fame, now I might I might try to walk. Maybe use a walker, but I might stand up for that one for sure." So it well, would be, I'm going to tell you right now, cool. we're going to well, start screaming it. <laughs> Here on Bust It Open, we're going to be screaming uh-huh. it from the highest mountaintop that we want man, you to I better start working be on my walking, man. My gosh. Without just stand guy, up. You, you should, ain't got to because... walk, brother. Just uh, just stand mm-hmm. up. That's all we want you to do. You got you got so two we, Hall of Famers. You got two Hall of Famers here who, uh, if we had a mm-hmm. vote, would uh, make you a first ballot Hall of Famer in our eyes. Your oh, career man, definitely you. deserves it. Um, Lex, thank you so much for coming on this morning. Thanks so much for getting back to me. So quick last night, I was very excited uh, to have you on. I know our uh, listeners are, were very excited to get a chance to, to, to listen and speak with you this morning. Um, God bless you. Um, thanks for listening. All of that good stuff, man. We wish you nothing but the best and you are invited on anytime you want open door policy here on busted open. We love you very much. And, and just thank you for everything that you've given to the wrestling business and your tremendous career. Wow, guys, thank you for being a big part of my life every morning. I'm just a huge fan. Thanks for having me on. And I'll just, Finish what you tweeted last night after watching Doc. Boy, uh, Ray, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. that was, yeah, that yeah, was a we cool love tweet. you, brother. Love we you guys. Take care, Lex. Thank you so much for having me on. Our pleasure. Best, see you down guys. the road. We'll see you at the next signing. Yes, sir. Love it. Take care. Take brother. care, brother. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. The executive producer is Paul Earl. The digital producer is Gabby Laspisa. Andre Viola is the associate producer. Marissa Rivas is the director of Sports Podcast. Special thanks to Senior Vice President of Sports and Podcast, the legendary Steve Cohen. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. 
That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.